Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, vaccine mandates and the erosion of community, political theater, and Canada's entanglement with China. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show, Tuesday, October 12, 2021. Great to have you aboard the program here as you work off whatever that turkey hangover you have from Thanksgiving weekend is probably doing to you. I am not a huge turkey fan. This is my confession that I realize sets me apart from pretty much everyone else. After all, I'm irreverent. I can take the anti-turkey position. I, I'm not anti-turkey. I, I don't hate it. I just have never been able to love it. So now that you know that, about me, we can carry on with the real business of the day here, which is the increasing encroachment of the enforcement state on your civil liberties. I know we're, we're coming back from Thanksgiving with a bang here. Last week, I spoke at great length about Justin Trudeau's vaccine mandate for travelers by air or rail, also for federal employees. And we did a deep dive into it with a great panel of guests from Aaron Woodrick to John Carpe to Anthony Fury. Today, I want to focus on a different aspect of it. I also have some China stuff to get to very shortly, but I was noticing a lot of provincial governments have really leaned into allowing people to report non-compliance with COVID measures. Now, this is not an exhaustive search by any stretch, but you look at a very a number of the provincial government's websites here, they have pages where you can go and snitch on someone for not sufficiently upholding whatever those provinces' public health orders are. Manitoba has its online COVID tip line. You can report anyone who violates gathering restrictions, any business that's not supposed to be open, and so on. You've got Saskatchewan as well, a website here that's dedicated to reporting non-compliance. Now, in the Saskatchewan case, you can. there's a little checkbox here. You can report someone for not wearing a mask. You can check off face covering and mask individual and put down the person's information, their name, their address, their phone number. And and you can report an individual person that you see in public that's not wearing a mask. Now, while the government says they won't allow you to submit an anonymous complaint, the name of the complainant, so your name, if you file one of these, will not be shared with the person. So it is effectively anonymous. That person doesn't have the right to face their accuser, which is supposed to be a hallmark of the justice system. And the list goes on. PEI has something very similar. And I know earlier on in the pandemic, we saw this in Ontario, Quebec, elsewhere, where they would set up these snitch lines and you could report, oh, there's a kid playing on that playground. Let's send the bylaw officers in. But this is still going on, even as this supposed grand reopening is taking place. Now, this one, when I was doing my, again, very non-scientific survey of various provinces that have these, and by the way, I was looking at how easy is the province making it, because anytime you see the law being violated, you can call police, you can call bylaw, you can call public health, whatever the case is. I was looking at how many of them have really leaned into wanting to have these dedicated portals where you can just file a bunch of complaints at will because that's what they want. And that was why I was looking this up, not because I was complaining on my neighbors for, you know, having unsanctioned Thanksgiving gatherings or or anything like that. Yeah, I hate turkey so much. I was just filing complaints to try to disband all of the the turkey dinners over the past weekend. This one I found, I want to say funny, but it was actually fairly shameful. This is the Newfoundland government's website. 
which has the frequently asked questions page. And one of the free, now again, you the question doesn't need to be asked frequently for them to put it on there. They can put whatever questions they want on this FAQ page. But I have to assume at least a couple of people asked this, which just brings me great shame for this country. Newfoundland FAQs on COVID. I am aware of someone who is not practicing proper physical distancing. Can I report them? <laughs> so, so at some point, someone in Newfoundland has asked the government, someone was standing less than six feet away from someone else, can I report them? I'm, I'm itching to complain. Manitoba, Saskatchewan, they've all got this portal. I'm ready to report my fellow Newfoundlander for not standing six feet away from someone. And to its credit, the Newfoundland government says, at this time, it's recommended but not required. So failure to comply with physical distancing advice is not a reportable or punishable offense. But but you have people that want to go above and beyond and start ratting out their neighbors, their friends, their fellow citizens of this country, of their province, for not social distancing. And the government has to say, whoa, whoa, well, we're not going that far. No, yeah, we're we're recommending it, but you can't you can't report them. That the snitch line will not extend to people who aren't social distancing. And I said on Twitter yesterday when I, I was seeing all of these, I it was in a very thankful mood, so I started looking up all of these reasons to get angry, I guess. And I pointed out that, you know, we're now in the online snitch portal phase of we're all in this together. So there are various phases. You go from two weeks to flatten the curve, we're all in this together, and then a snitch line to report your neighbors. It was a very rapid turn of events. If you blinked, you might have missed it, but that's where we are today. And again, this is so embarrassing. So embarrassing. And there's an existential aspect of this too. And, and this is why I delved into the civil liberties discussion last week, because people have so willingly adopted this. They've so willingly embraced this. Where is the sense of community? And when I've talked about civil liberties and personal freedom and personal choice in the context of vaccination, this is one of the common retorts. People have said, well, you know, it's a civic duty to get vaccinated. It's a community duty. It's a community responsibility. You should be looking out for your fellow countrymen. And you know what? That's a fair argument. There are a lot of things that are communitarian in nature, not communist, people choosing to do something because they like being part of a society. But that doesn't work when it's government forcing it. That doesn't work when it's government generating that, government driving this. And, and when your individual punishment for not choosing, quote-unquote, choosing to be a part of this community is something that the state itself dispenses. And, and that punishment is something the state itself meets out. And that's exactly where we are right now. So looking at all of these measures, the online snitch thing, th these are, are not dangerous to me because the government is inviting people to snitch. It's dangerous to me because people in Canadian society welcome that. People in Canadian society want that. Like, like that silly Newfoundland example, people are, are over-reporting. People are reporting things that the government isn't even taking complaints on. And that's the direction that we as Canadians have decided to go. Not me, not you, but our neighbors. That's the direction that as a country, as a so-called society, we've decided to go. And one of the dangerous, dangerous things we've seen is that we did not put up a fight at all. And before you take this out of context, if press progress is listening in, I'm not talking about armed rebellion here. 
I'm talking about taking a stand. I'm talking about taking a stand in democratic means. I'm talking about more protests. I'm talking about all of these things that people can do to register their discontent. No, the media turned on protesters. Civil society turned on protesters and said, oh, no, 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 you're COVIDiots, you're a bunch of yahoos. No. And and again, these are people who were standing up and, and seeing months and months ago, seeing very soon into this, very soon into this, that there was something happening here that wasn't just about that top line stated objective. And the moving goalposts here, as I've said, moving so fast, the goalposts are getting speed limits. The goalposts have more mobility rights than any Canadians do right about now because the goalposts are the only things that can just move around at will. What's happening is these goalposts have moved from just two weeks to flatten the curve, bend the curve, plank the curve, to then, well, you know, if we get 70% vaccinated to 80 to 90, and now at a certain point, it's nothing short of full vaccination will be the target. Now, let's talk about society and community here. Because you know me, I, I occupy a space that is a bit of a rare one right now in that I am completely comfortable with the vaccine. I got the vaccine and I support everyone's choice to decide for themselves whether they get it or not. I was reading about an area in Eastern Ontario that I I think deserves to be noted here. And that is Leeds, Grenville and Lanark District Health Unit in Eastern Ontario. Very rural, a lot of small towns. That's the area in which Brockville, Ontario, if that means anything to you, is situated. Leeds, Grenville has the highest vaccination rate in Ontario. They have the highest vaccine rate in Ontario. About 92% of the people in this public health region who are eligible to be vaccinated are vaccinated with uh, two doses, and they've got 97% who are vaccinated with one dose. Now, this is near perfect. I would say 97% is higher than you're going to get in most places, but they've got almost everyone in the area has at least one dose and they've got over 90%. They've got 92% that have received two doses. So, and they're still seeing it increase. They're still seeing an uptick in this, but this is about as good as it gets for vaccination in a society where you're always going to have some people who are holdouts for religious reasons, for medical reasons, and so on. Now, if you look, and the Toronto Star did a a great story about this at how they've done it, they've done it by leaning into the community. They got the local pharmacists, they got business owners, local doctors to all work together and tell people about the vaccination programs and tell them all they could go and get their jab, they could do this. And this was all done. If you look at the timeline of it, the vast majority of this vaccination in Leeds-Grenville area was before Ontario's vaccine mandate. So all of this success, which has aligned with what the government's stated objective is, and the government's stated objective is get as many people vaccinated as possible. Whether you agree with that objective or not, I'm I'm just talking about how it is. All of this happened without coercion. This happened without a vaccine mandate. This happened without forcing people. This happened because people want to, and people in the community were chatting about, and they got this, and they rolled this out without forcing people, without threatening people with their jobs, their livelihoods, their travel rights, their mobility rights. They all did this because they wanted to, because their friends were doing it. Sure, maybe there was some peer pressure, but you can't, there's no constitutional right against your friends wanting you to do something. If, if you say no, you can. These people have chosen to say yes to it. Now, I look at this and I see this as a success. Because what people have done is made a choice for themselves without the coercion. And I'm talking about the legal coercion here that we're seeing now. 
as the Ontario government, as the Alberta government, as the federal government, as Quebec, Manitoba, as all of these governments push towards trying to penalize the holdouts by taking away their right to go to a restaurant, taking away their right to travel, taking away all of these rights and freedoms as though this is within the purview of government. And all of the, I mean, the best thing you can hope for in these cases is that people say, well, yes, you know, society's been closed off to me, so I guess I'm going to get vaccinated. And as we talked about last week on that panel, government will say, well, that's a win. And I think it was Anthony Fury who pointed out, you, you can't be surprised when you force people to do something if people do it. That doesn't mean it's a victory. That doesn't mean you should be happy with it. But this leads Grenville case, and again, we're talking about one health unit in one province in the country, but it's an interesting one because this is an area that did it the right way. They did it the right way without coercion. And now the rest of governments, they've already abandoned this. They've already abandoned their goodwill. There is no more community. There is no more society. There is no more looking out for your neighbor. The government has decided it is going to monopolize your right to make these choices for yourself. And in doing so, they've probably encouraged a lot more people that would have been reachable through the Leeds-Grenville model to just say, you know what, screw you, I'm not playing ball. Sure, if I were doing this for my friends and for my neighbors, I might have, but now that government's making it, you, you, you trigger that libertarian impulse that exists in some people. Now, no, not nearly enough people. I, I wish the libertarian impulse were a lot stronger than it actually, than it actually seems to be in Canada, but it, it does trigger that. And I think that's certainly the problem in Alberta. They had that immediate uptick as soon as they announced the vaccine passport in vaccination. But I think for the most part, a lot of the people that were choosing not to get vaccinated are just going to say, well, I guess I'm just not going to restaurants now. I guess I'm just not going out. And that's a decision that a lot of people will make because once they start to feel like it's us against them, government against the individual, which it has been for quite some time, once people start to realize that their interest in doing anything for the government is just obliterated, it's gone. And this is going to be the problem that we see unfold when booster shots become the norm. They're already starting to be. Alberta, for example, has now made it possible that anyone 75 and up or anyone indigenous can get a third shot. Now, what they haven't done is said that you must get a third shot if you're in that group to be considered fully vaccinated. So you can still go to a restaurant if you have your two shots. But at a certain point, the Israel approach will kick in. And we'll be telling people that they are not considered fully vaccinated by the state unless they get their boosters. And I'm sorry, but a lot of the people that did their part with shots one and shot two or shot one and shot two, I don't think are going to go down the road of getting the booster just to be able to tell the government they're fully vaccinated. Because that bill of goods of once everyone gets vaccinated, you can go back to normal has already been reneged upon. It's already gone. I mean, this is the whole thing, even if, and I, I do not support the, the, the vaccine mandate for air travel, but even if you do. So the whole point is that you deserve, this is the, the government's narrative here, that you deserve to know that everyone around you is vaccinated. You deserve to feel safe. You deserve to have some rumspringa of, as though you're vaccinated. You can get back to normal. You can get on a plane and only be around vaccinated people. Notice how they didn't take away the mask mandate. You still have to wear a mask. If you're flying from, I don't know, Vancouver to Australia, which is like, what, 16 hours or 18 hours, you still have to wear your mask the entire time. You're around fully vaccinated people, but the government's still saying, ah, yeah, you got, you got to keep your mask on. 
So it's just stacking different measures on it, stacking different layers. And, and the defense that you get to this criticism is, oh, well, you know, yes, but there's no silver bullet and we just have to keep adding to Well, how much more are we going to add? How much more are we going to add? And it's in, you notice the government isn't uh, forcing airlines to put spacing between seats again. They're, they're not forcing the airlines to reduce capacity. They're just throwing on all these other layers, like the mask and now like the vaccine mandate and, and so on and so forth. And, and this is what's happening in society as well. Again, you look at Alberta, Ontario, all of these places that have put vaccine passports are still requiring people to wear masks. The exception is restaurants where you've never had to wear a mask when you're eating. And again, I, I don't want to give them ideas, but I wouldn't be surprised if in some of these provincial governments they were recommending masking between bites and masking between sips and, and all that jazz. But that's exactly where we're headed here. So the erosion of individual choice has eroded the very sense of community and civic duty that so many of these people are telling us we need. But that's gone when all of a sudden government is taking away. It's no different than how charitable contributions go down the more taxes go up. And we've seen this, CARDIS, uh, which is a great agency in Canada, has done some phenomenal research in this. When government expands the welfare state, people have less money to give to charity, but also less interest because the government has created this framework wherein everyone thinks, well, yeah, the government's covering it. The government's looking after my neighbor so I don't have to. And people turn inward. And that's precisely what's happening here. When government takes your individual choice away and subordinates you for the virtues of public health, in this very abstract sense, your interest and eagerness and willingness and being a good neighbor, being a model citizen, doing all of these communitarian things, upholding this ideal of being in a society, all of that's gone. Why would you? It becomes everyone for themselves. So government works against what it claims is its stated objective. But again, the stated objective is rarely what's actually afoot. And we know this, it has been and continues to be control over public health. And this is not, I should say, a distinctly Canadian problem here. Take a look at Italy, just as one example, last weekend. And in Europe, oddly enough, Europe is not what most people think of as like the modern libertarian utopia, the free society where everyone is free to pursue their individual desires and goals and all of that. But in Europe, a lot of people have reached that breaking point, which is why the vaccine passes in France and Italy have been met with such pushback. Now, in some cases, this is because European nations have pushed people so far that they do want to just take a stand. Italy is an interesting example of those moving goalposts about which I was warning just a moment ago. They had 10,000 protesters get together in Rome last week, including a lot of, I mean, very violent uh, protests. They were breaking windows and equipment, which I absolutely do not support at all. But the interesting thing here is that Italy has gone very aggressive. It's being held up now as the most stringent regulations as far as COVID is concerned. They're ramping up their vaccine passport or their so-called green pass rules because you need a green pass, a proof of vaccination paperwork or a negative test in all places of work, private and public. So it's Basically, as far as the state can go to make vaccines mandatory, you need to be vaccinated to have a job is basically it. Unless you work from home 100%, but as we've seen in Canada, that isn't exactly a given. If you want to go to work anywhere, you have to be vaccinated. 
And if you are found in the workplace without this, you face a fine of $2,100 Canadian. And if you are an employer who doesn't check the passes, it's $1,400. So they've actually put the onus on the employee. You get fined more than your employer here. And they started with this pass for travel in June. They've extended it to restaurants, theaters, all of that. And then they made it a little bit more for public transit in September. And now to have a job, to have a job in a workplace you need to be vaccinated. So your right to earn a living in Italy basically does not exist, which is pr- so very shameful. And and again, when you do this, you flip the alternative of what Texas Governor Abbott put forward, which is a ban on vaccine mandates, a ban on private businesses requiring or checking for proof of vaccination. Now, you may be surprised to know I'm against that. I'm against that. As I've said, I I take a libertarian position on this. I think individuals who only want to be around vaccinated people should be able to do that. If some local diner says we want only the vax to come here, they should have that right and customers should have the right to go elsewhere. Individual choice goes both ways and government has eroded it. However, and this is the caveat, this is the asterisk, policies like this are the inevitable outcome of policies like what, what, what are being put forward in Canada, in Italy, in France, in Australia. Policies like these are the natural response to that because if, it's, if it becomes, all right, government's the only one to make the choice, do we err on the side of locking down and segregating society or do we err on the side of saying it's none of anyone's business? And, and this dichotomy, I think, is in and of itself a false one but it's the one that we're stuck with. And just before I take a break here, I have to talk about language and the importance of language because oftentimes I I might latch on to an individual word or phrase in an announcement or in a news story. And some people say, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're just being a nitpicker. You're doing all this stuff. It's semantics. Wording is very important. And I want to give you a, a very big example of why. Now, Merriam-Webster is not, in my view, the, like a real dictionary. It's not the best one. It's not, I'm a bit of a snob for, for language. It's not like the Oxford English Dictionary or something. But nonetheless, Merriam-Webster enjoys a lot of popular appeal, and they try to maintain their relevance as dictionary publishers by reevaluating and revising words, including words that become on vogue in popular context. Not like Urban Dictionary, but it is might as well be. And here's an interesting one. Merriam-Webster has revised its definition of anti-vaxxer, which in and of itself is a, a neologism that I don't think should be in a dictionary, but I digress. They've revised their definition of anti-vaxxer as a person who opposes the use of vaccines or regulations mandating vaccination. So if you're opposed to vaccines, you're an anti-vaxxer. Okay, I can agree with that. We, we can all get on board with that. Or you oppose regulations mandating vaccination. So to use myself as an example here, I am fully vaccinated, but to Merriam-Webster, I'm an anti-vaxxer because I support individual choice. So if you stand up for liberty now, the dictionary definition is that you are an anti-vaxxer. And, and this is now the basis of how a lot of people in media, how a lot of people in government refer to those of us who believe in individual liberty, those of us who believe in personal choice about what you put into your body. Nope, you're just an anti-vaxxer now. Vaccinated or not, pro-vaccine or not, you are an anti-vaxxer. So you can now be in Canada, in the US, in Europe, you can be a fully vaccinated anti-vaxxer. So bet you didn't think that was possible in 2021. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Andrew Lawton Show. Stay tuned. 
You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show. Before I get into China, let's talk about something that we can all agree is terrible, which is phony, contrived political theater. For this, we have to go south of the border where Vice President Kamala Harris was extolling the virtues of NASA and space in a video where she was talking to a group of just ordinary, average American school children. And it seemed a little bit cringeworthy. Why don't you take a look? One of the things I'm most excited about but the other, you guys are going to see. You're going to literally see the craters on the moon with your oh, own eyes. Oh, my goodness. With your own eyes. I'm telling you, it is going to be unbelievable. Okay, you may think the kids are being a little bit awkward. Maybe it's because there are cameras or maybe because they're talking to the vice president of the United States, which is a big deal, especially if you're a kid. Or, or maybe it's because the whole thing was part of a scripted entertainment program. Yeah, they were not real, ordinary, average American school children. They were child actors. They were casted. They auditioned. They presumably were following some sort of a script. I haven't seen the script. And Kamala Harris is there just doing doing her whole, hey, how do you do, fellow kids routine? And again, this is something that I would hope she knew about. I was hope she'd briefed on that, hey, it doesn't matter what you tell the kids. They're all actors, so they'll all laugh at your jokes and pretend to be excited at the right moments. And we've this is like the, this is the stock photo thing that politicians do, but on steroids. You actually just bring in actors to give you the desired response. <laughs> I remember a few years ago in the Ontario election, it was actually the election in which I ran as a candidate, there was a story where some local candidate was told to get supporters to cheer for Doug Ford's bus as he arrived. I think it was for a debate, and I guess the candidate didn't know if they could get enough uh, as supporters, so they just hired a bunch of actors to do it, and there were all these actors just, you know, cheering for the Ontario PC campaign, and I was running, and I remember we got, like, the talking points on that, uh, because that anytime there was, like, a crisis, they were giving candidates, you know, what to say in case uh, something had, in case someone asked about it, and I don't think anyone asked me about it, so I don't remember what the talking points were, but I'm, I'm assuming the line was something along the lines of, oh, the party had no idea, and they've uh, asked the candidate never to do it again or something like that but oh boy yeah hiring actors never going to work out well for you in politics then again I don't think that the people who aren't actors in politics are, are doing a, a better job let's turn to China for a moment we've just had a, a tremendous diplomatic victory the release of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor and now it's as though all is forgiven uh, Canada's ambassador to China Dominic Barton is telling Canadian business to start investing more in China. China's the future. Let's do more business with China. Send more money over to Beijing. Now, Dominic Barton, by all accounts, was instrumental in securing the release of Kovrig and Spaver. He's done tremendous diplomatic work. He understands who he's dealing with. And now all of a sudden he's telling business they have to start doing more to China. A full-throated call, it's been referred to. And here's the thing. This is not something that we should take lightly. We should be doing more to separate ourselves from the Chinese economy. One of the big problems right now is that we are so reliant on it. The reason China's the future is because so many businesses and governments have decided to allow their rise in such a, a robust and significant way, which China is very much aware of. 
Now, this was said in recorded remarks for the Canada-China Business Council. He says, doing more business with China is crucial to Canada's economic well-being. And he says we should study China's five-year plan for guidance on how best to do it. Now, this is perhaps why the Canadian government is giving businesses advice and guidance on how to work within China's social credit system. Because if you want to, as a foreign business, do business in China and with China, you've got to play by China's rules, which means you've got to erode all of these things that Canadian consumers tend to care about, like, oh, I don't know, individualism and perhaps freedom from surveillance, just to name a couple of ideas here. But what Barton says is that it's critical Canadian firms seize opportunities where they exist and take advantage of the continuing economic rise of Asia and China. Now, he did, of course, acknowledge the arbitrary detention of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, but to just say all is forgiven at a time when we should be looking at how we can pull back from our entanglement with China, we now have Canada's ambassador saying all is forgiven. And I don't want to read between the lines here and see something that isn't there. But I have to wonder if this approach and this attitude is why he was able to get results from China, because China was looking at Dominic Barton and saying, "Okay, here's a guy that seems to think we can do more business with the West and the West should do more business with us. And they thought he was a willing dance partner on strengthening those economic ties. And again, I'm not saying that was at all connected to it, but I am saying that would be a good explanation for why he was able to have such access and have good dialogue with the Chinese Politburo, with the Chinese Communist Party. Because we're not even a couple of weeks past the arrival of the two Michaels, and all of a sudden we've got our ambassador in China, not China's ambassador, Canada's ambassador to China, saying we should do more to send more money over there. There's a reason that China has a trade surplus with pretty much every other country in the world. And pretty much every country in the world has a trade deficit with China because China is in the process and China succeeds in sucking in foreign capital and sending out cheap goods. And they can do this because they have a government controlled economy. And this is where, despite, being, despite me being a big fan of free trade, you have to question that a little bit because free trade only works when the trade is free on both sides. We're talking about a command economy here. We're talking about a centralized economy in China. And you're, you're talking about government subsidizing enterprise in a way that is always going to lead to imbalance. Now, does this mean that individual businesses shouldn't have the right to pursue trade with China? Absolutely not. Like with anything, we have to look at it very carefully, especially when we're talking about Huawei and Canadian infrastructure or, uh, you know, Chinese uh, control and manufacturing of security for our embassies, which was a story that came up, I think it was about six months ago or so. But the, the fundamental reality of this is for government to be encouraging it right now of all times, you got to step back and be like, what? What on earth are we getting out of this? What is the goal here? It's one thing to say China is the future. It's another thing to actively promote the same sort of conduct that makes it so China is the future. In any case, we've got to end things there. We'll be back in just a couple days' time with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. You're tuned in to True North's The Andrew Lawton Show. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, God bless, and good day. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.